The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory, Glory to you, Lord. Lord. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they went and saw where Jesus was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The Gospel of the Lord. That's a really uh, fantastic gospel passage we have here uh, to, um, to celebrate the second Sunday in Ordinary Time. Uh, I think the, f- the first thing perhaps is uh, to uh, maybe a little bit superficial, but I think it's worth asking and answering the question anyway. You know, what is going on here with, with these translations? Right? Rabbi, which translated means teacher. You just don't see this in the, in the text uh, all that often. Messiah, which, translated, which is translated Christ. Kephas, which is translated Peter. I think what we have here, it's, it's quite clear, I think, that what we have here is a first-hand account of Jesus coming on the scene and his disciples first finding him and discovering who he is. Nothing at all, right? The, the person who is recounting the event wants to change nothing at all, right? Not even a word. And so we get some of the the Hebrew or the Aramaic, and then it's translated into the Greek, actually. It's not translated into the English, believe it or not. It's translated into Greek. We translate it into English, okay? But, there's, but this is, you know, the, the recounting of such a seminal scene, right? Such an important scene in the life of those men, the early church, God's unfolding plan of salvation for his entire world. They don't want to, they don't want to drop a word, you know, so, and, and if we need to put it in this, this kind of frame, I have to say something like, you know, the love story, right? Where you, where you first met the person you fell in love with, right? I mean, this is, you want to, want to remember every single word exactly as it was. Yeah, and I think that we probably have the capacity to do that. Uh, I hope that for, for us, the story of our faith is, is a love story, is an unfolding love story, and not simply the, from us to Jesus, but we recognize at this point that it's Jesus loving us, loving us into life, loving us into a you know, whole-bodied communion uh, with God and, uh, and setting our lives ablaze with the fire of divine love. Okay, so this is, that's the first kind of question and answer, I think, when we, when we get this scripture passage, we have to observe. The second is to say, yeah, we're, in ordinary time, as it were, we're going to get the theme of discipleship emerge. And it's interesting because that's something of a coincidence, okay, is to say, when we're, when we're in ordinary time, and if you got my email, there's much more of a discussion of uh, the, the Latin tempus per annum, which is the, the period of time that we're in. It's time through the year. 
and it's time, say like, in between the fasts and the feasts of the liturgical year. So we usually tell time by, you know, Advent, Christmas, Lent, Easter. Then we have ordinary time kind of filling in the gaps, as it were. I mean, it's doing a bit more, it's doing a lot more than that for us. But it's kind of filling, it's, you find it in the gaps of, this, of the seasons. And in the gaps of the seasons, when, when we go to something more of like a chronological read through the, uh, through the scriptures, um, or a page-by-page reading through the scriptures, we find the, the theme of discipleship emerging. Why? Because that's what the scriptures give us. That's what it is. That's the, the relationship, the, the reason why we're here is because we're being summoned into relationship with Jesus and live out that relationship in discipleship, right? Which means that we're, we're he, hearing and heeding his call. We're living our lives in obedience to him. Our lives take on the pattern of Jesus' own life, right? These are all discipleship themes, and they all emerge through ordinary time because, again, this is the narrative of, of Scripture is to give us this sense, right? Every page of the, of the gospel is a page for us to grow into the discipleship that we're witnessing in front of us, right? Okay, so I want, I want to begin, because we're at the beginning of John's gospel here, in order to get a sense of, of the particular, I want to get a sense of the whole. So I want, to just, I want to offer a word of reminder that the story that is retold in the New Testament, in each of, in each of the Gospels, and in the Gospels writ large, is the story of how God became king. How God became king in and as Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, now I'm not going to dig so far into that theme, now, I think I've done it probably every week for eight plus years. So I'll skip it, right? Well, we can skip through that to some extent. But to say the story that is being told, this is significant. The story that's being told is the story of how God becomes king. Now we look and go, well, that's a weird story. In the sense, okay, if we get the theme, we're holding on to the theme. This is what the story is going to show us. Then we go back page by page and we go, that's not actually what I would have expected to have happened. If God is going to become king, like if I'm, if I'm personally writing the story of God becoming king, I'm thinking of God parachuting down from on high, zapping everything into place. You know, let, let's put borders and boundaries around this group of people and that group. And if we sort them out this way and that way, then everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to be fine. We're going to be able to get on with our business, right? I'm going to come in and with a show of force, make people submit to what I want them to do. Uh, is, that too, is that too personal? <laughs> you know, like, they're like, man, this guy is like, uh, he's a pretty vicious guy. Yeah, that's what, I don't know, this is what I can see, because if I take on like where we are in the world, and not only our, say, our cultural habits, but the formation of, of, of our thoughts, our minds, and, and, uh, and our hearts, and the rest by the world, then I, when I start thinking of power and rule and glory and the rest, it's always one over the other, right? It's one person over the other. That's the expression of power. That's the expression of rule, to be ruled by someone else. It means the diminishment of the person who's not ruled, right? You have to get put in your proper place to do the thing that I want you to do. And so there's a lot of kind of self-willed stuff going on that I think we probably have by habit, yeah, almost say naturally at this point, but we're habituated into it. That's not what this looks like, right, in the passage. So God is becoming king in and as Jesus of Nazareth. What does he, what does he do? He's just walking by. 
<laughs> right? He's like, this is the first scene, right? I mean, John is there saying, that's the guy, right? And, um, and even the word, behold the Lamb of God, right? He's, he's indicating that this is, the, this is the guy to restore the worship of Israel. He's here to renew God's people and then lead the restoration of the entire world, right? So it's all kind of packed into that little statement. He's saying, okay, and, and, his, and his disciples, John's disciples know what he's about. He's about pointing to that guy. And then he says, there's that guy. And then those two disciples follow him. This, this is the beginning of the story of how God becomes king. This is not the way that I would have thought to draw it up. I mean, thank God, right? It's like, we'll take God, we'll take his cues, you know. Let, let God write the story. I don't need to write the story. But it's, we have to remember, yeah, this is not the way that we think it would otherwise happen. This is, but this is how it happens. And it's not so much even that they were on the lookout for Jesus, right? Like, okay, you've got John. He's leading the movement of renewal. He's anticipating the, the coming of the king. And there he is. But they're looking, right? They're, they're eager to find their leader. They're eager to find the one that God has anointed. And yet what we find in the retelling of the story is that Jesus was on the lookout for them. Okay? I want to, I want to bring this up. 2,000 years, but I'm, I'm going to wait just a second in order to do it. Okay, this is how, that is how Jesus does it. So we have the what of the whole thing, and then we have the how of the thing, right? So it's God is becoming king. The kingdom of God is a Messiah-centric movement. The Messiah or the Christ, the anointed one, is Jesus. He's at the head of his people leading the renewal of Israel, and we are the new Israel, He's leading the renewal of Israel so as to bring restoration to all of creation. And when I say all of creation, I don't simply mean hugging trees, okay? I don't mean that we should pick up the world's form of environmentalism and drive it on as though it were ours. What I mean in terms of the restoration of all creation is chiefly human activity and endeavors reordered according to the plan and purpose of God which means human activity and endeavors inspired by, animated and sustained by God's own life of love, such that everything human beings do is grounded in God, grounded in his love, and, is lived, and our lives lived out as an expression of his love. Yeah, I'm looking at all the faces because I'm realizing there, there are two things. One is that it's very difficult. It's, it's a bit of a challenge to understand, but I think we're understanding it and realizing that it's very difficult. It's very difficult to have every action of my life be inspired by and sustained and animated by God's love. Okay, we'll get to that in, in just a little bit. The, kingship of, the, the kingdom of God is, say, uh, implemented in this age now, following on from the gospel. So I wanna say, when we look at the end of, say, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, we hear the commissioning of the apostles, of the disciples, where Jesus says to them, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is the coming of the kingdom of God, okay? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded. Okay, so what do we have there? The, king, the movement of the coming of the kingdom of God comes about through the sending of the apostles, yeah, the sending of the disciples, having them baptize all peoples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the, 
Baptism here, for me, I prefer to say plunge, to be plunged into the life of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we, with Jesus at the center, right? again, this is a Messiah-centric movement, the kingdom of God. We, with Jesus at the very center of our hearts and lives, in our baptism have been plunged into the life of God, but we every day get to be plunged into the life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Okay, we, we get to be animated and sustained by God's own life of love because Jesus has won us to the cause. And we have said, yes, I submit to you, right? I will be subject of your rule, and not only subject of your rule, but agent of your rule, such that my life of discipleship, yeah, begins right there by being plunged into the life of God, but it always concludes in plunging others into the life of God. And let me offer... Just as a preliminary, yeah, we, we should be baptizing everybody, okay, fine. But we want to plunge people into the life of God. We want, we want them to experience God's own life of love. And the way that they, they may, perhaps the only way that they're going to experience it is if we embody it for them. That's how we're going to, primarily, that's how we're going to plunge people into the life of God, is by loving them with the same say, reckless fervor that God has for, for loving us. Okay, how do we, how do, we do this? How do we do, I want, so I want to start this, this um, uh, ordinary time period, this time focused on discipleship, by saying, of course, we have to pray. We have to pray, we have to commune with God. It's, it's in prayer primarily that we're going to receive God's own life of love, that Jesus is going to breathe his spirit into us. And our prayer has to have a bit of structure. The first, can I say, the first thing with prayer is that we have to do it. Okay? So let me, let me shake you out of your festive slumber, okay? Like, we've all been eating cookies, okay? So we're all on that post-sugar high, okay? I get it. Yeah. You have to do it, okay? You learn to pray by praying. There's a reason why you, get these, why you see these images of kids learning to ride the bike, do people do that anymore? It's like too dangerous for us, right? <laughs> you can't ride bikes anymore. Okay, anyway, so children learning to ride the bike. And what do they do? They have like dad standing by and, and running and trying to keep up and pushing and whatever. You learn to ride a bike by riding a bike. You're going to lecture someone into riding a bike. It's not going to happen, right? You learn, to, you learn to ski by skiing. You learn to, I mean, so it, this is just a, the most natural thing in the world. You learn to pray by praying. And let me add on, on top of that, you learn to love by loving. You know that, right? There's no lecture in the world that's going to really move the chains as far as love goes. You're going to have to learn to love by loving. You're going to learn to pray by praying. Okay, so we have to make the time. It's the first thing. We have to make the time to pray, to be receptive to Jesus' breathing of the Spirit into our hearts and lives so that we can be animated and sustained by the Spirit. I'm going to offer again the structure of Acts. Yeah? Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. And I'm going to do it in the, in, in the most basic way. I say the most basic way. This is like my default. So we're in this kind of default season, ordinary time. I want to do it in kind of my default way. Adoration is praising God for who he is. You can take a, any clip from the gospel where Jesus is up to something, and you can say, that is who God is. So I can praise God for who he's revealing himself to be there in and as Jesus especially from the passion, right? So one of my favorite ones is, is to say, you, God, you are the God who washes feet. I love praising God as the God who washes feet, okay? But 
a step back and a more kind of default way to go is to say, God, this is a bit complicated, but God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is an eternal exchange of glorifying love. Okay, God, Father, Son, and Spirit is an eternal exchange of glorifying love. So I praise you, God, Father, Son, and Spirit, you are an eternal exchange of glorifying love. The more I pray that way in praise of God for who he is, the more I start to see where my life is not a reflection of that reality. Is my whole life glorifying love? Is my whole life lived in praise of God, glorifying him, and then pouring myself out in his service in glorifying love, right? Animated and sustained by his own life of love. So God, Father, Son, and Spirit is an eternal exchange of glorifying love. God, I praise you. I praise you. That's adoration. Contrition is where I see that I'm not totally in line with who he is. And he's made me to be a reflection of his splendor, of his glory, of his love. Yeah, so again, and this, this is all again within the context of kingdom bringing, because it's the nature of discipleship. This is Jesus' own life, and it's the life that he's breathing into us. Okay, so contrition. But I'm not going to get stuck. When I, when I go to be contrite before God, I am not going to get stuck on self-pity. Okay, that's a pledge that I make to you. Okay, no, no. this is a pledge we all ought to make. We're not going to get stuck on self-pity. Yeah, okay, we're not all, we're not totally aligned with God. We're not living lives of glorifying love. We're not living lives of radical generosity all the way through and all the way to the end. But he's calling us to do it. He's making it possible. He wants to see it through. So we, we repent and we say, I'm going to give it, I'm, I'm giving it another shot. I've been giving little clips, can I say, from the recent pilgrimage that I took. Some of you know that I took this pilgrimage to Liverpool to watch, uh, to watch my team play, to watch Liverpool play at Anfield. I'm, I'm okay with the idea of like, this is an act of worship. You know, this is like priorities, right? I'm expressing my priorities. I want to cheer my team on to victory. I've been giving like little clips of my realizations as I've participated in that act of worship. And I compare it to this act of worship, which has to be at least as lively, can I say, as that act of worship. This is why I'm bringing the heat all the time, right? It's like, so if you can imagine me like uh, in, in, a, in a football, I have to say, sorry, football stadium, you know, in England with all those lunatics, and my dad has already called me one, then, then you can understand why I'm a lunatic here at this Ambo. You know, I'm a stronger fanatic as it relates to God than I am of, of Liverpool. I can probably prove that as well. But, uh, but that, we will leave that for another day. The interesting thing is this. Like when, we get it, when we're focusing on taking that next step in prayer, committing to it and whatever, we start thinking about how, we've, how we show up. And we say, I'm not good at it. I'm not what all this kind of thing. I'm coming to mass. I don't know where. Am I all into it today? Am I into it? Like I'd be cheering on Liverpool at Anfield. Am I, am I, you're right. Am I, am I into it in a way that I'm a fan of my, of my team or whatever? I feel kind of this way and that way, whatever. Okay. But at Anfield, there's no check to see like who's feeling good and, and, and who's not, right? And who's, who's into it and who's not and what. You just come as you are and you give your voice to the thing. Right? You, just, you just cheer it on, you're going for it, and everybody's going for it together. That's what our worship is supposed to be like. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't exactly matter where we are. We have to give God everything we, everything we have right where we are. Yes, we come on to sing his praises and give him, and give him glory with all the fervor of fanatics, right? Because we are. 
We're fanatics of Jesus, and we're not just fans of his, we're followers of his, we're disciples of his. Okay, so showing up in prayer is just a matter of going, going and singing God's praises. This is, this is what we're doing. And we do that in adoration and contrition. We do it also in a slightly different way in thanksgiving and supplication. Right? Because as I'm praising God for who he is, radical generosity, radical generosity, an eternal exchange of glorifying love, recognizing that I'm not always there, but I'm giving myself over to the task, then I turn and look out of my corner of creation, right? The land that God has entrusted to me, the relationships, the human activities and endeavors that God has entrusted to me, and I say, thank you. Yeah, I'm going, and look, I'm going to have to will myself into that, just as you are, okay? I'm going to say thank you to God. Thanks. My whole life has to be thanksgiving as, a, as an expression of his radical generosity. Jesus, we're going to hear, before, as he goes to his death, gives thanks to God. His whole life is thanksgiving. And he's breathing his life into us. He's breathing his spirit into us to animate and sustain us. So our whole life is to be thanksgiving. So we look out at our corner of creation, the place where God has called us to serve, the place that God is sending us, right? the place where God wants us to embody his love, the love that he's pouring into our hearts, and we say thank you. We go, we, and by the way, this is how we're going to overcome resentment. Yeah, I've talked about self-pity and resentment. Right? They're, they're the twin devils that derail God's project before it gets started. We're going to pray to God, we're going to praise Him, we're going to thank Him, we're going to give Him the glory, we're going to pour ourselves out in service of Him. And as we do that, as we, as we offer Him thankful praise, as we give Him thanks for this corner of creation that He's entrusted to our care, for this part of His, of His world that He wants to bring, He wants us to bring the reign of God, we're going to see all the ways that we need something or other in order to do it. Right? We, we need an increase in courage, Love, patience, kindness, whatever. We need, we need this, that, or other material thing. We need this, that. Okay, we're going to turn that over to him in supplication. That's where our petitions come from. Yeah, and as we, turn our, as we turn ourselves over to him, as we pray for what we need in order to advance his reign, he is going to give it to us. He's going to give it to us. So here, right, this is the coming of the kingdom of God. We've been called into it. It's a work primarily of discipleship. Jesus is at the head of the movement, but he's the very heart and center of our lives. It's ours to follow him in faith. And as we follow him in faith, lit up by the fire of divine love, we're made to bring God's light and love to every corner of creation.